I'm going to talk about church and family, kind of an extension of what we've been talking about uh, on Sunday morning. So I have a habit when people give me a photograph or when somebody takes a photograph and they say, here's one, I never put it in a photo album because I'll never look at it again if I put it in a photo album. It sits on the shelf. Oh, yeah, I never look at it. So I use them as bookmarks. And I, my Bibles are full of photographs, and a lot of them are of church people. And uh, I pulled out a book a couple days ago that I hadn't had out for a long time. I opened it up, there's a photograph in it, and it's from taken from this place right where I'm standing of people uh, in the congregation. <clears throat> and when I first looked at it, I said, wow. And I started to count. Uh, I can't see quite everybody in the photograph, but the ones that I can make out here, eight of these people have died which was the first kind of shocking thing, uh, as eight of them died, and I can see five of them in here that can't attend anymore because of failing health, and some of them are in nursing homes and so forth. And uh, so uh, one thing that comes clear to me is that churches change uh, drastically, really. Uh, churches change they become different groups of people and so on. And when you look and see who's missing here. Um, then I looked through the picture again. And uh, on one side, there's one person who's a regular attender now. And on that side, I see four people who are a regular attender now. And then I started to think about that. And uh, two of the people in that side of the picture have now uh, added to the church nine more people. And that's Sandy and Kent are in the picture. And if you look at their whole family, uh, there's a whole nine more. So one family replaced eight people plus. And that's interesting to me as I think about that. I think that's a pretty important thing. Uh, so the extension of the family, and when, when I look at the eight people here in the picture that have died, none of their relatives or children are here. They didn't have any family that came and that stayed here. And the ones that have died and the ones that are uh, in homes and, and can't go anywhere anymore, uh, none of their family was here. But uh, it's nice to see God created marriage, of course, in the beginning and then through that brought about families. And so families were God's idea. And if you look in Genesis 12, I think you really get the mind of God about <coughs> families and church. 
as we tie the two together here. Genesis chapter 12, and, and God's talking to Abraham, and he gives him some promises. And I think the best promises that he ever got is here. Genesis 12, uh, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land I will show thee. I will make of thee a great nation, will bless thee, make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing. I will bless them that bless thee, curse them that curses thee, and here it is, and thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. It was God's intention to bless entire families. And uh, he started right in the beginning with Abraham. And he said, I'm going to make it so that through you, what I help you to do, how I guide you, your family is going to be blessed. But he said, also every other family on the face of the earth. That's a great thing. And it's a wonderful thing that God's original intention, when he's beginning to lay out his plans for the human race, he starts right away and says, hey, uh, families are going to be a, a part of that. And so I'm thinking about that today. I'm going to look at a couple verses that talk about family. And Psalms number 103, if you want to turn there with me, Psalm 103 talks about family. Psalms 103, verse 13. Like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place (coughs) thereof shall know it no more. And that's exactly what's happened in this photograph. They're gone. They were here, and they're gone. And it doesn't seem like very long time that they're with us, and then there they go. They're, they're not here anymore. And that's what he's saying. He says the nature of life itself is that it's transient. It doesn't last long, not nearly as long as you think it's going to be. And then life goes away. It just blows up, and it's gone. So... Verse 17, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him on his, and his righteousness unto children's children, to such as keep his covenant, those that remember his commandments to do them. So he says there are families, he said, that I'm going to bless not just their children, but their children's children. I'm going to extend my blessing Not just one generation, two generations, but three generations into the future. Now, then we can top that pretty seriously. Just a page over to Psalm 105 and look at verse 8. He, that is God, has remembered his covenant forever, a word which he commanded to a thousand generations. That's a long time. That's a thousand generations is a long time. And he said, so... Uh, I got your family, he says, in mind, way, 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 way into the future. I plan to bless your family and your generations. And then we actually have, a, a, that's an expanded promise. Then we go over to Second Timothy, 
to see an example of what he's saying. Okay, the T's are all together in the back of your Bible in 2 Timothy, Timothy Titus. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul's writing this letter to Timothy, and he says here in verse number 5, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, Timothy, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that's in thee also. And so Paul says, your family, Timothy, had something. Your grandmother believed, your mother believed, and now they have passed that on to you. And if you look over at chapter 4, Timothy, verse 15, verse 14, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, chapter 3. Verse 14, continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and has been assured of, knowing of whom thou learned them. Where did you learn them? That from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. So he's talking about this family, Timothy's family. He said they started on you when you were very young. Your grandmother and your mother had a serious influence on you. And that's how you turned out the way you did. Now... We're going to turn the opposite side of the coin and look at something the same way. Exodus 34. Exodus chapter 34. Because I have known families, and some that I worked with, I knew like three generations. Right? I worked with grandparents, and then sons, and then uh, others beyond that. And uh, there was one family, I knew the, the grandfather, he was a great guy, hard worker, a salesman for the company, did a wonderful job. His son came along, and uh, they never went to church anywhere. Son came along. So, of course, he had no grounding for what was right or wrong. He eventually uh, drank himself to death. The next generation of that family is in prison. It didn't take long. If you don't know anything about God and you don't pass anything on and they got no grounding and they end up in bad choices, and the next group is in prison. You say, well, can it go like that? Well, I've seen it like that in several cases. And here uh, God talks about it. Uh, Exodus 34, verse 6. Exodus 34, verse 6. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and mercy, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions of sin. So these are all the things that God could do. But here's what happens to people who don't do what they should, that will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children 
and the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. And so if a family goes wrong, he said they can get worse and worse and worse. He said it'll pass on one generation to the next down to four generations. And uh, most families don't get to see four, right? Usually we see three generations. Sometimes we see four if there's short times in between. Uh, but uh, he says this will go on and on through a family. And in uh, Second Kings, one more before I talk a little more. Second Kings, verse 17, is the same thing God says here. Chapter 17 of Second Kings, verse number 40. He's talking about the Israelites. He says, how be it they did not hearken. They did after their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord, served their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they unto this day. Or he said, like father, like son. Passing down from generation to generation, uh, a disobedience to God. And so he says, we can go both ways. He can promise to bless you for a thousand generations if you keep your family in the right way, or we can change it. And so I want to give you a short history. I was thinking of my family uh, and going back to some of the things that kind of helped me to understand why I'm here and how all that happened. And I, I can only go back as far as anybody can remember. Nobody wrote a book about the Olsons. Anyway, there's no such thing as Olsons in Norway. Uh, if I go there and say, you're Eric Olson, they say, who are you? They don't know who I am. But when I was there, they said, oh, you're Cuxness boy. Yeah, right. I came from that farm over there. And so they don't know the name Olson there. But uh, <coughs> it wouldn't matter anyway. Um, my grandmother's name was Ulavina. Some of you have remembered that name. That was in such a nice name. <laughs> it's an unusual name. My grandmother's name was Ulavina, and she was married to Tula, uh, husband and wife. And Ulavina lived on an island in the ocean called Ausea. And her father was a preacher. And she told me, I remember her saying that uh, my father, she said, uh, was a preacher. And she said, he was always in some other world. <laughs> he was always thinking in some other world. My mother used to say that to my father. I don't know where you are, but you're not with us. <laughs> you're in some other world. And my m wife doesn't say that to me, but... She might think it. Uh, but I, when I was in Norway, I asked about Ulavina's father. And they said, well, here's what he did. He's on an island out in the ocean. And so on Sunday morning, he got up. He got in a rowboat. And he rowed to the mainland. Now, it's not like rowing across the pond, all right? It's quite a row. And uh, I can imagine sometimes it was challenging. He just got in a little rowboat, and 
he rode across to the mainland. I'm not sure how long it would take if you've ever rode a boat by yourself. You know, you're not going fast. <laughs> so he must have got up early. He rode over. You could see the mainland, but it was a ways away. And he rode over to the mainland and pulled his boat up on the shore, and then he'd have to walk to town. Uh, and it was a, a couple, three miles into town. And then uh, he was the preacher in that church. And so they said people came from miles around to hear him preach. But I think, thought to myself, it's a real task to go to church if you've got to row a boat and then walk, right? Would you all do that today? <laughs> you like to have a car, it brings you right here, huh? And you complain if they had to park way down there and walk up the hill. My goodness, Eric, you can't expect us to do that. No, no. My grandfather rode a boat across a long stretch of water and then got and walked to church, preached a sermon to everybody, and then he'd go home. So I want you to see for him... Uh, who would be his father doing a real task just to go to church. A real task. Uh, uh, effort. Took a lot of effort just to go to church in the morning and he was the preacher. Now, my grandfather Tour, him and his father lived in a place called Grimstad, way out in the middle of nowhere. And that's where my father was born. And it's on a, a peninsula surrounded on three sides by water. And the nearest town is probably seven or eight miles away, maybe a little more. And that's where there's a church. Well, in order, uh, in the wintertime, the weather gets pretty bad. And so I said, it's too bad to go to church. Well, my grandfather Tura and his father, uh, Benson, he built a building near the place where they lived. And they called it the Berdehusa. This is called the House of Prayer. And it was a little building, it's still there. We went over there to see it. And the idea was in the winter, when the weather is so bad and the snow drifts, it's not like they had snow plows, the snow drifts have all drifted everything in, uh, we're going to church. So we make our own church just a couple miles away, and we'll get there by skate across the ice, walk up the hill to what they call Berdahusa. And so, uh, was a guarantee that when it's time to go to church, we will not stay home. We're going to go if we have to make our own church. And so they built this little worship place, and they would gather there, and local folks would come in and make sure they went to church even in wild winter weather. So that was that. Now... Tura was the first one to come to America, and he got here, worked in New York City in a shipyard, retired to Connecticut, and he wanted to start a church, 
And so him and some other fellows started a Lutheran church, sort of a Norwegian thing, everybody's Lutheran, and in Cornwall, Connecticut. And I remember last time I went there, I'm sitting in a pew and I look over the side, and there's a brass plate on the side, and it says donated by Tour Olson. And so uh, he donated the pew I was sitting in. Thought that was kind of neat. I have attended that church a few different times. My father preached a funeral service there for his brother. So he preached the funeral service in that Lutheran church. I went there later and preached the funeral service for his sister. And so two of the family members uh, had funerals there, and my father preached one, and I preached the other one. Now, my father started a church in Oakfield, and we actually have people here who attended. My father was Udmund, and he started a church in Oakfield, and they met in the town hall when I was a teenager, and Charlie and Pauline Griswold were part of that church uh, in Oakfield. And it was, it did all right. And then uh, there came a day when they needed to do something because they were in the town hall. You can't do much other than meet on Sunday in the town hall. So they needed to make a change. And there was a group of people there who said, we want to keep the status quo. And so we're not going to make any changes. And after a while, it closed up because uh, the church, here's the rule of it, must change. You can't help it. The church is going to have to change. Right? You look at this photograph I've got here, and you see all the different people who are gone. Obviously, the church has got to change. It's got to change. And so they didn't want that to happen, and so that church failed. Then we come to the fourth generation, some guy named Eric. And at 33 years old, I had to call a God to open up this place in East Shelby. And there was lots of different reasons for it. Uh, one of them I had in my mind was I wanted a better place for my own family to attend. And that was one of the reasons that I went into this thing. Uh, and so in my immediate family, there's 17 of us that are part of this church. And that's a thrilling thing for me because that's kind of what God said, didn't he? From generation to generation, I'm going to give it to your family, and if your family will do what? Well, if your family is a real task to go to church, we're getting a boat and go. Let's go. Let's go. And uh, we're not going to stay home. No matter what happens, we are not going to stay home. We're going to go. And those are things that were handed down to me, and I think that our family is handed down to them. 
So it's a powerful thing that families play such a role in a church. And I never realized it here. And I came and there was all these names on the window. And I said, who are those people? So I began and I put uh, Mr. I can't remember which one I started with, but I put this A.D. Grinnell, and I put it in the paper, and I said, does anybody know who this is? A.D. Grinnell. And I waited for an answer, and I tried another one, waited for an answer. Finally, I got a phone call, and this guy said, what are you doing? I said, trying to find out information about names on a stained glass window in our church. He said, come and visit me. So I went and see Mr. Ed Grinnell was his name. And he said, I got a book for you, might interest you. He brought me out this book. It was a big, thick book. And he said, you're going to find that uh, almost all of those names are in this book. And it's a family book. And he said, what do you mean? He says, everybody married everybody else. This one married that one, that one married that one, this one married that one, and then got married. And so all these people got married because they all went to the same church. And then I looked at the book, and he had written it. He was a historian. He had written the book. And he told me the story of how the Vincents married the Possons and blah, blah, and all this. And they were all connected. It was like two major families, and they were all connected through marriage and through the family. So I think it's a very powerful statement about how churches were meant to function by God. He wanted the family unit to be a part of it and to extend into the church God's faithfulness down through the generations to the families. And so uh, the most a powerful thing for our church has really been families extended. And what do you know? They're marrying each other still. <laughs> Isn't that nice? They're still getting married to each other and, and tightening up the family idea here. And I think probably the best thing going on in our church is next door. Where children are learning the Bible. And these little kids are doing Bible drills. That's what I did when I was a kid. You hold your Bible up and they give you a, a reference and you can't hold it like this because that's cheating. You gotta hold it like this so you don't have an advantage. And then you look up the reference quick. Man, I loved it when I was a kid. That's what they're doing over there. And they're learning so that the next generation is prepared and ready. And so we extend into the next generation the information that's needed so that someday we're going to say, here, it's yours. I'm done. They're going to take me over to the next road, stick me in a hole in the ground, and then there you go. The next generation will carry on, and they'll have a picture someday and say, well, he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. They're gone. They're gone. But we're still here. And from one family can be 17 more people. And on and on. It's a wonderful thing. God's method. Thank you.